Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. myself at home up here, so you'll have to, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, We are not in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, No no cheer for that. Uh, um, We we have summed up Matthew. We're done with Matthew. We are starting a new series today called Schooled, a fresh look at classic stories. Um, I'm I'm a storyteller at heart. I love stories, and so I thought, what better thing to do then tell some of the classic Sunday school stories that some of us who have grown up in the church have grown up hearing. Others of us hear because they're really easy to tell um, and they're almost cultural in some ways. Noah's Ark, we see plastered everywhere. And so we hear some of these stories. But have we gone beyond the Sunday school understanding of these passages? That's what I want to explore in this series. And so um, we've got some little icons up here. You might be able to guess some of them, maybe all of them, maybe a few of them you're not quite sure about. Um, I had fun because I drew these, and I was just doodling and dreaming about what the series would look like. Uh, and God spoke to me and said, these, these things. And so I'm excited about it over the next couple weeks. Uh, we'll take a break for Christmas and come back to it. Um, but I, I want us to go deeper because it is said, Scripture is shallow enough for babies to play in and deep enough for elephants to drown in. And so if we go, oh, I know that story, I don't need to study that one anymore, I get the application of that, then we probably haven't gone deep enough because we should never, ever say that about the Word of God. And so I'm excited to collectively as a congregation become like children again and hear the story as if for the first time and then apply it to our lives in a new way. Uh, But before we begin, I kind of want to set the stage a little bit. Have you guys ever thought about how many tall buildings we have in our world? You have? I'm sure you have. I know you have. Um, Anybody else? uh, Kids raising their hand, right? Yeah, okay. Adults, you don't think about it, do you? Um, How many tall buildings there are? I just want to give you kind of a world view for a moment, okay? We're going to do charts because this is schooled, okay? Um, Here... Here is uh, height in meters because it just, it's stacked up nicely in hundreds. I'll give you the feet measurements, okay? This is the Great Pyramid at Giza, okay? Um, It was completed in 2540 BC, okay? It's ancient. Um, And it reaches a height of 480 feet. 480 feet, which is approximately 150 meters, give or take, okay? Um, That's not bad, right? I mean, we look at the pyramids, and if you stand at the base of the pyramid, you're like, that's impressive. That's a significant accomplishment for those folks, okay? Now, let's, let's take this into more modern view. Um, this is the home insurance building in Chicago. Does anybody know what that building is? Yeah, I didn't either, um, <laughs> okay? It was, it was built in 1885. It's a historic building in Chicago, the home insurance building. Um, it's 180 feet tall. That was, a, that was like a tall building back in 1885, 180 feet tall, okay? Now, let's go a little more forward to the future. There we go. 
Anybody know this one? Empire State Building, right? So you, you were good. Yeah, right, right place. Okay. Empire State Building, built in 1931, 1,250 feet. So in the span of, what, 45, 50 years? Boy, did we learn how to build a building, didn't we? I mean, that's a significant accomplishment. Um, what about this one? Are you guys familiar with this one? Anybody know this one? This one is a really unique profile. It's the Shanghai World Financial Center in Shanghai. Yeah, you know, there you go. You learn something new every day. Um, it was built in 2008, and it comes in at 1,614 feet, so right about 500 and a few meters tall. Okay. Um, now, now there's another one. I can't pronounce it. The Burj Khalifa. I don't know. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is the World Trade Center. Uh, this is the um, uh, Tower One, okay? The one that they just finished building. Uh, 2013, uh, 1,776 feet. Um, but the building ends here, but they added the, the spire. So technically, it's taller, okay? Um, but you'll notice that spires on buildings are to increase the height, even though it doesn't increase the living space. Uh, you can say, my building's taller. Um, and so, okay, that's why they put the spires up, and that's why there's conflict over, are they allowed to have that, is that airspace, how tall, okay. Um, okay, so we got that. Now here's the, the Burj Khalifa, it's in Dubai, built in 2010, comes in at a whopping 2,717 feet, okay? This is a significant piece of architecture. Um, it is so tall that this building has its own climate near the top. Its wind patterns are different at the top than they are at the bottom. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a marvel when it comes to uh, engineering, okay? But I've got space for one more. There is a building currently under construction uh, in Jeddah. I don't know if you guys know where Jeddah is. Um, it's in Saudi Arabia. It's on the Red Sea. Um, I didn't get a map. I'll point it out to you later on a map that I have later. Um, the, the real height because it's under construction, has not been released by the architects. They're keeping it shrouded because they don't want someone else to come in and build with something with an inch-tall spire, you know, on top and top them off. Um, it's currently under construction, but when you look at the plans, estimates are saying that it will hit a whopping 3,381 feet. Um, this, this is 1,000 meters. This is a significant building. Now, if the Burj Khalifa has its own uh, wind patterns. You can imagine what this building is like. Um, this, is, uh, this is an amazing building. It is 10 Giza pyramids stacked on top of one another, or five uh, World Trade Center Tower One uh, stacked on top of uh, one, one another, okay? Uh, this is a tall building. Now, they have named it the Kingdom Tower, and uh, when it's completed, they are going to construct a city at its base in the middle of the desert, this whole horrid, arid location. Um, in the middle of this desert, at the base of Kingdom Tower, a city that they're calling Kingdom City. And their hope is that this will be the tallest tower in the world. And it truly reaches the definition of skyscraper, right? Because it doesn't just scrape the, the sky. It has its own atmosphere at the top. Um, it is in a different level of oxygen at the top of this building. Um, its heights literally will scrape the sky, um, and it is just an immense amount of, uh, of building. 
But it's not a new thing, is it? Like this concept of, I want to build it taller than you, so I'm going to put a spire on top. Well, I'll build it taller than you. We'll all build it, so forth and so on. Where's it going to end, folks? Because here, people thought that was crazy. And here, people thought that was crazy. Now we're here. I, I ask the question, what's next? And this isn't a new thing. Scripture tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And the desire to build a tower that scrapes the sky is a story that is ages old. See, uh... Kingdom Tower might be the tallest right now, but they surely weren't the first to try. And this is the story we're going to look at this morning. We are going to look at the Tower of Babel. Um, and, uh, oh, what a great story. I have had, you have no idea, I have had so much fun, and I have learned so much, and I can't even put what I have learned into a sermon. So if you get excited about this story and want to know more, I could just chat your ear off about how cool this story is. But, um... For brevity's sake, I've, I've tuned it down to some of the most important parts. But I would like to read it from the children's Bible this morning because storytelling is just the greatest. So kids, um, come, and, come and sit here and give me space on the stairs. I have a cold, so I don't want to breathe too closely on you guys, okay? You're my kid. You gave me the cold. I don't care. Um, you can sit close to me. Uh, okay, so I've got the kids. They're coming up, okay? And this is adults. You might not be able to see the pictures. You use your uh, mind's eye, okay? Um, but needless to say, you are, you are children of God. So receive this story as the word of God to you, okay? A giant staircase to heaven, the Tower of Babel from Genesis 11. Noah and his family lived in the land, and his children had children, and those children had children, and then those children had children, and then those children had even more children. And, well, you get the picture. There were a lot of people on earth now. Now, back then, everyone spoke exactly the same language. So you didn't need to learn Swahili or Japanese or Spanish because you could say hello to anyone and they would know exactly what you meant. Now, one day, ev <laughs> one day everyone was talking and they came up with an idea. Let's build ourselves a beautiful city to live in, and it can be our home, and we'll be safe there forever and ever. And then they had another idea. Let's build a really tall tower to reach all the way to heaven. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna hold on a second. Ah, there we go. It is a big tower. All right. Yes, they said. And we'll say, look at us up here. And everyone will look up at us, and we'll look down on them. And then we'll know we are something. In fact, we'll be like God. We'll be famous and safe and happy and everything will be all right. So they got to work. Brick by brick, the tower grew higher and higher until it soared above the city and touched the sky. They built stairs in the tower to climb to the top and it was like a giant staircase to heaven. Look, they cheered, we're the ones. See what we can do with our very own hands. They were very pleased with themselves. But God wasn't pleased with them. God could see what they were doing. They were trying to live without him. But God knew that wouldn't make them happy or safe or anything. If they kept on living like this, they would only destroy themselves. And God loved them way too much to let that happen. So he stopped their plans. One morning, they went to work like usual. Everything was different. Their words were new and funny. You see, God had given each person a completely different language. 
Suddenly, nobody understood what anyone else was saying. Someone would say, how do you do? And the other person thought they said, how ugly are you? And it wasn't funny. You could be saying something nice like, what's such a lovely morning? And you would get punched in the nose because they thought you said, hush up, you're boring. You couldn't even say, pardon, to check if you'd heard right because no one understood that either. It wasn't easy to work together after that, as you can imagine. People were always quarreling and fighting and getting in, the, in dreadful muddles and becoming grumpier and grumpier until at last there were all, they were all too cross with each other to keep on building and they just had to stop. And after that, the people scattered all over the world, which is how we ended up with so many different languages to this day. You see, God knew, however high they reached, however hard they tried, people could never get back to heaven by themselves. People don't need a staircase, they need a rescuer. Because the way back up to heaven wasn't a staircase, it was a person. People could not reach up to heaven, so heaven had to come down to them. And one day, it would. And that's what we're going to read about today. All right, children, you may go back to your parents. And you may bring the Bible. And I will give you the Bible. Okay, there you go. <clears throat> the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> there you go, Tower of Babel. <clears throat> now, I got to give you some context for the story, okay? Um, it's not enough that we just take this story and remove it from Scripture and study it independent of everything else. Um, you have to know what's happening in the Bible at this time. This is in the book of Genesis. It's in the 11th chapter. So uh, grown-ups, find your Bibles. Kids, find your Bibles. Flip to the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Okay? And I want to point out some things to you about where this falls. Okay? This falls 11 chapters after Adam and Eve. Okay? 11 chapters after Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve is an interesting story, right? God created the heavens and the earths. Seven days, beautiful story, okay? We'll tackle that another day. And then he created Adam and Eve in his own image, and he said, you get to steward the earth. And what was the command that he gave Adam and Eve? Yeah, well, okay, don't eat the fruit. That was, okay, we got, this is good, okay? We got the positive and the negative, okay? He said, don't eat the fruit, okay, that's good. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. So what God wanted was these two people created in his image to go and make a beautiful family and create a whole world of people that loved and worshipped God, gave glory to him and lived in beautiful harmony. But they had that other command, right, Blaze? The one that said, don't eat of the fruit. And then they ate of the fruit. And God said, they've sinned. I need to stop this so that it doesn't cause problems for future generations. And so he stopped them in their sin, and he did it for their own good, and he kicked them out of the garden, which was unfortunate, but for their own good. And they were still under the command to be fruitful and multiply, and that they did. And then if you read a few more chapters down in the book of Genesis from Adam and Eve, you get to a beautiful story about Noah and the flood, okay? This is chapter 6 of Genesis, and I say that this is important to understand too, because Adam and Eve had multiplied the entire world and filled it up with people, but something had gone awry, and people were still sinning, and they were still diso disobeying God. Um, and so God stopped the sinful behavior, because like we read in the children's Bible, God loved his children too much to let them continue going on in sin. So he stopped them from sinning, and he um, cleansed the entire earth, shall we say. Okay, And we'll tackle that story on another day. But he saved a remnant. 
a family, Noah's family. And he put them on an ark. And when the waters receded, he told Noah's family to be fruitful and multiply so that the entire earth could be filled with people that praise him. Now, this command, be fruitful and multiply, um, gives the idea that we need to not just multiply our area because an area can only hold a certain number of people, right? So being fruitful and multiply means spread out over the entire earth. Don't be stationary. Be nomadic. Get families and go somewhere and park your family for a while. Grow that family and send your kids out to go and uh, populate the world for the Lord. This flied in the face, flew in the face of the Mesopotamian religion of that day, okay? Of the people of, uh, that were on the earth that chose not to worship God. They worshiped false gods. And there was a false goddess. Her name was Ninter, okay? Just in case you want to know. And her command to people was exactly the opposite of God's. God said, go and be fruitful and multiply. And Ninter said, stay put. Don't go anywhere. Don't worry about it too much. Just, you know, live your life as normal. No need to be nomadic. Be stationary. Genesis chapter 10 gives us a sneak peek of the generations that followed from Noah because they replenished the earth. Okay, here's a map. Um, it's kind of hard to see, uh, but here's a little map key up here. Noah had three sons. So after the flood receded, the three sons, uh, let's see, Jepheth, he went this way. He was the red families, okay? And then uh, Ham, he was the green families here, okay? And, uh, and Shem, he has the blue families that come up here. So we see that his family did spread out into the known world, but it wasn't because of obedience. It was because of disobedience. Um, and so this is what we're going to understand in the story today. They did not spread out to the command. They spread out because God fractured their language and forced them to become obedient. Here's the story. Verse 1 and 2. The whole world had one language, a common speech, and the people moved eastward and found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Um, this is Shinar right here. Okay? So the people were moving eastward and they found this plain and it was beautiful and fertile. And God's people said, hey, we're going to settle ourselves here because we're tired of walking and uh, it looks good. And so in rebellion to God's command, they stayed rather than go. Now, when we read this story in Sunday school, oftentimes we get caught up on the idea about these people who built a tower and God was angry about the tower. Mm, yeah, okay. He wasn't happy with their behavior. The sin was not, the first sin was not the tower. The first sin was their disobedience. Um, so if we're building a tower, we're going to start with the fact that they rebelled. Okay. Um, I'm just that strong, um, okay? Um, the people rebelled, and in building their life in one place, they laid the foundation of a future that would act in rebellion to God. Their cornerstone of their life and civilization was now completely standing on rebellion. They exactly did the opposite of what God told them. So they've rebelled and they've found a beautiful place to stay in Shinar. And then they say to each other, come, let's make bricks and we're going to bake them really good. And they use brick instead of stone because there's no stone there. And then they use tar for mortar. And they began to build something, a city in which they could have safety and defend themselves against enemies and wild animals. 
and they realized they could do this with their own hands. They could build a city of bricks and they could live in it without fear. And so we begin to see that upon rebellion, they begin to build their own security. They begin to say that we ourselves can provide for us. We, with our own hands, have made the city walls. We, with our own hands, have made our homes. We, with our own hands, have taken nothing and made bricks. And taken bricks and made buildings. And this is a good place for us to stay because we have made it for us. But it didn't stop there. Building on their foundation of rebellion and comfortable in it. They said, hey, now that we've built ourselves a city, let's build a tower that goes all the way to heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves so that we are not scattered. They're still working in rebellion. They're still trying not to be scattered. They were seeking glory for themselves. Now, they wanted a tower that would be taller than anything else in the world. They wanted a tower that anyone walking by their village would say, Hey, those are the people that built the tower. Look at how great they are. That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted to be a beautiful city in a thriving valley that would become the premier, the place that people come to so they don't have to leave and go anywhere else. And the common belief at that time was that gods resided on high places. Okay? So the... People who are living in rebellion to God. I can't see half the people of my church. This is weird. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I like to see people. Um, the people who are living in rebellion to God, having built their own security, finding their own glory. Well, they said, um, we want this high tower so that we can stand on top of it and make a name for ourselves. When other people look for a high place, and mind you, this was a low place. The area that they settled, no mountains, no hills. So when they erected a tower, it was the tallest thing in the area. And then they built a staircase to the top, okay, so that they could stand on top of it and look down from their substitute mountain at the little lesser people who were not gods because they would be viewed as gods by any other people on the world's face right then. Now, these towers are called ziggurats, okay? Fancy word, tuck it away, use it sometime to impress somebody. The ziggurat. This is a, a depiction of what we believe the Tower of Babel looked like. Um, it's taken uh, from uh, Greek historians and uh, uh, other ancient historical documents. Um, the temple of the foundation of heaven and earth is what they believe they called the Tower of Babel way back when. And they have plans that describe how big this is on ancient tablets. Um, but they believe that gods lived on the top, so they would build this squared off structure and then these staircases that would take you all the way to a little temple at the top where you could stand at the top and consider how great you are at the little people who are not able to climb temple towers were erected throughout the ancient world um, and they were a way to say this is where we go to worship or this is where we our are worshiped and uh, the ancient tablets that document um, ziggurats in this day and age in the babylonian era say that um, uh, these kinds of ziggurats were 300 feet tall. That's pretty significant, actually. Uh, it's, you know, twice the, um, twice the home insurance building, but not quite the Great Pyramid, okay? 
Um, it's an impressive architectural feat. So they've built this, um, they've built this tower, and they're living on it, and they're, they're happy where they are, and they're secure where they are, and then God enters the equation. I love this part. Um, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. God tells us uh, in his word that he was up from heaven and he was looking. He was aware of everything that was going on because he's God. Um, but it says that he had to come down to see the city. And the implication in the original language of this sentence is hysterical to me. Um, it was the idea that God's sitting up in heaven and he's looking down at his children who are building this tower. And he says, I, I see that they think it's great. Um, but it's so small to me from up here. I have to go down and actually like get a magnifying glass and look at how tiny and insignificant their accomplishment is. Because to God, that was so tiny. And so he came down to see what his little children were doing. And he didn't like what he saw. It was... Um, a tower meant to erect their own selves as God. So God said this. If the people are speaking the same language and they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. This troubled me. Does that verse trouble you guys? It troubled me because I'm like, well, is God saying? I mean, is God saying what I think he's saying in that if they continued, they actually would build a tower to heaven and then like show up on God's doorstep? Or like... What, is, what does that mean? And so I went digging because I was troubled by this. There are two things here. One, God was primarily worried for their safety. You know, they didn't wear harnesses back then, okay? And so a fall from any one of these heights would have been an instant crushing blow to the physical body. Practically speaking, he was worried about their safety. But in reality, God was worried less for the physical height of the tower and more for the escalating height of their continued sin. Um, when you build a life that is, has a foundation of rebellion, you find your own security and seek your own glory, you are starting a cycle in which you will continually live in sin. You will continually be building yourselves a taller tower of sin. And God said this, unchecked sin and rebellion will only grow. There is nothing sinful that will become impossible for them. What he is saying is this. God knows if it went unchecked, there would be no height, no end to the heights of their depravity. No amount of sin would become impossible for them. In the New Testament, um, Paul uses um, what I call a junk drawer term. Okay? Um, when he's talking and listing sins out in the New Testament, he's saying, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, um, don't, uh, you know, do all these things, um, and no sexual sins, okay? The word there in the Greek is porneia, and it means anything the human mind could come up with. Don't do it. It's a junk drawer term. He said, I know that if we let you go to the ways that you normally would, there is no end to the amount of junk that will be in your life. God says, I don't want that for my people. I am less concerned with what they're doing with their hands. I don't have a problem with buildings. I have a problem with hearts that are built on a foundation of rebellion and escalating that in their life. So God said, come, let us go down and confuse their language. The language here is so interesting. 
In the beginning of this passage, they say, come, let us stay here. Come, let us build a building. Come, let us build a tower. In Genesis, the creation story, come, let us, God says, create the heavens and the earth. Come, let us. And God is saying, let us make something together out of nothing. They are mimicking God's words and trying to be like God. Come, let us make something out of nothing. And so God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they won't understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth. And they stopped building. And that is why it's called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You know, working in the best interests of his will and the good of mankind, God fractured their tongues, giving them different dialects and languages so they could not work together for the glory of sin, but they had to be separated. Despite their best efforts to build their own foundation, their own security, find their own glory, and continually live the way that they wanted to, they ended up scattered across the world. And it wasn't because of obedience, it was because of disobedience. Now these scattered people grew over generations that followed, and they became pagan sinful nations living far apart from God's will and the security of his shelter. We can read in history books about nations that grew, okay? Uh, from the sons of Noah, mind you, um, remember, uh, where is it? These, these nations in this map area... Okay, we're going to zoom in here for just a moment, okay? And here we go. We've zoomed in. And we've got, uh, let's see, the Babylonian kingdom, which we know is all over in the Old Testament as a mighty force against God's people. Here is Shinar down here. It became Babylon. The Tower of Babel became the seat of the nation of Babylon. Um, we've got uh, the Midians uh, over here. And the Lydians over here. And that was how the early empires began to develop. From sinful um, empires and nations uh, came the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians. And those nations had their foundation in the story of Babel. And it looked like the world, frankly, was ripe for another Noah-type cleansing, right? I mean, for goodness sakes, first Adam and Eve, and then Noah, and then Babel. And God, I mean, his pattern is, I'm going to stop their sin and I'm going to cleanse the world and we're going to start over to be fruitful and multiply. None of the fractured people were worshiping God. They turned inward and worshiped work and the idols of their own making. Um, they were continually building towers wherever they went across the world, built on a foundation of rebellion to God and then building up from there in sin. But God is gracious and in his wisdom, he has this plan to unite the fractured nations before him so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? So it's kind of a distant plan, but there's a reason it says every knee and every tongue because the tongues have been fractured for so many generations. God has a plan to bring all of those fractured tongues back together and unite them for his glory and the good of mankind. Though the world was scattered and resigned to sinful pagan worship, God in his mercy chose another family, like he chose Noah, and he saved Noah and put them on an ark and floated them through the flood. God was going to, in his mercy, choose one family from all of the, from all of the families 
that descended down from Noah's sons. God chose one. (laughs) And he made a covenant with that family. And he did it in Genesis 12, saying, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. (laughs) Who was that? Abraham, right? It's Abraham. Now, Abraham is a direct descendant of Shem, one of the three sons of Noah. So the three sons of Noah had lots of descendants that did sinful things, and they had descendants that did sinful things, and one of them happened to be Noah, whom God said, I'm going to covenant with you to make a family for me, and we're going to call them the nation of Israel. They're going to be my people. Through all the nations of the world, one family I'm going to take and redeem them and call them to holiness and keep them accountable down through time so that I can work out something great for the entire world. Now, the rest of Genesis 11 tells us the genealogy of Shem down through Abraham, showing us that God, from Abraham's family, God would make a perfect savior to unite a fractured world because Jesus was born in the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and David, okay? And so this is the lineage that God chose The story of the tower is a story of a disobedient people who don't deserve grace, but God is patient and slow to anger, not wanting anyone to perish. So he chose to work out great salvation for people who didn't know they needed it. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. The loving kindness word, there is no English translation for the Hebrew word that we translate loving kindness. Um, it's such a broad word. Um, the word is chesed. Um, and there's no English translation that adequately describes the kind of nurturing, mothering, um, stern, fatherly, uh, gracious, all-encompassing kind of love and mercy that God has for his children. It is an immense word. And yet God is abounding in that towards us. Now, here's the application. This was a story about God working out salvation for a fractured people who didn't know they needed to be united. And woe to us if we read through a Sunday school story like this and we exempt ourselves saying, we haven't built our own towers. We're not in rebellion against God's will. The fact of the matter is this, and we need to understand this in the context of Scripture. As far as I'm aware, I could be wrong. Some of you might be. I don't know. Probably not. We're not descendants of Abraham, folks. We're not the nation of Israel. We are not God's chosen family from the line of Shem, down through Abraham, Isaac, and David. We're not that nation. We cannot trace our family line to the Hebrew nation. So let's face it, our own family history, we're descendants of the people who ran amok with their lives. We're descendants from the people who ran off to the far ends of the earth in their fractured tongue and continued to build towers and nations founded on rebellion and self-seeking security and self-seeking glory and continued sin. We're descendants of those people. Isn't that a great family history? Right? We need to own it because if we read this story and go, I exempt myself from this. This isn't my family history. We're only lying to ourselves. This is our family history right here. We're looking at the tower our family built. We are descendants of fractured sinful people. We are tower builders who need to repent and gain the grace of Christ 
first for salvation and then beyond salvation into continual repentance so that we don't build our own security, our own glory, and continually live in sin. So I have four questions for you. Where is it you are acting in rebellion? It's the cornerstone of your life. The first thing you do is rebel. Where are you rebelling against God? Maybe he's called you to go somewhere or to do something and you have not done it. You've stayed put. You've said, I don't want to do that. That would be uncomfortable for me. I am not sure I know how to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk to those people. I'd rather not. Maybe God has called you to serve, but you've not begun to serve. Maybe he's called you to stay, but you fleed because you didn't want to do what he was asking you to do. What is God telling you to do in your life, but you are avoiding? And as you are avoiding it, you are doing exactly what our tower builder ancestors did. Finding a place of comfort and saying, I'd rather stay here. Where are you in rebellion? And if you can't answer that question honestly this morning, you might be further up your sin tower than you realize and farther from God than you thought. Rest assured, though, God is not far from you. It doesn't matter how high our sin tower gets. God is always right there with us, waiting for us to say, I don't want this anymore. Where have you acted in rebellion is the first question. The second, where have you learned to rely on your own provision for security? I mean, it's your paycheck, right? You earn it. It's your job. It's your house. It's your family. It's your car. It's your city. You built this. Your life. You crafted it by the choices you made. Your life, your kingdom, your little tower. You determine what happens from day to day. You've learned to hem yourself in on all sides with a buffer of self-built security and protection. Keeping out the things that hurt you and make you uncomfortable. And keeping in and close to the things you love and make you feel good. But it's a false security. All that you have amassed is temporal. All that you have amassed can fade in an instant. Are you relying on your own wits and brawn? Or are you trusting in the name of the Lord for security? Because only God can provide for you security and peace that you are striving to find, striving to build for yourself, and yet you cannot accurately get it for yourself. Only with Christ can you find security. Where are you in rebellion where are you building your own security? And where are you seeking your own glory instead of God's? This is a really troubling one because it's sneaky. Glory is a sneaky thing. There is obvious arrogance where I might prance around and say, look at me, I'm the best. Everybody worship me. And you'd be like, yeah, no, uh, not gonna happen. Um, but there's this sneaky kind of glory that I'm more concerned about because it is not so easy to point out and it's deep, deep, deep within the heart. People around you might not even know that you are a glory seeker. But deep down in your heart, you want the glory. You want the fame. You want the attention. And what you're trying to do is steal something that belongs to God. Scripture tells us glory rests with God alone. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen is what Scripture says. And the point the glory begins to rest on man is the point that man fails. The minute you try and say, I got this, 
built on my foundation of rebellion and self-built security, and then I add my own glory to it, is the minute you take a step and you fall off the tower. Okay? It's not a safe height to fall from, folks. You don't want to fall from your tower. Where are you seeking your own glory instead of giving it to God? And it'll, it's so subtle, even just in doing kind ministry things for people and, and receiving the glory for that instead of saying, don't thank me. It was God who made it available for me to do for you. Those kinds of things we don't think about. We should not be glory stealers. Last but not least, do you have unchecked sin? Do you have sin that's running amok in your life, unconfessed habits, um, continual patterns in your life that run contrary to the way God would say you should live in his kingdom? Ever intentional sin, habitual sin, is a brick in your tower. Is that the life you desire to live? Is this the foundation and the, the glory that you want for yourself? Do you want to, every time you sin, add another brick to the tower, hemming yourself in, getting higher and higher? Is that the legacy you want to leave for your family, teaching your children and your children's children, this is how life is lived best. This is the best possible model for you to live your life. Because unless you begin to confess your sin to God and be changed from the inside out, this is the legacy you're leaving your children and your grandchildren, and your nieces and your nephews, and your neighbors and your co-workers. This is not what we are called to. Let God tear down that tower of sin. See, just as God came down to see the tower of sin in Babel and stop it from growing further, causing more damage, Jesus came down from heaven to earth to see our own towers of sin and to stop it from the dangers... Um, that it, it causes in our own lives. I'm going to close with this. He has called us, Jesus has called us, to lay aside our self-built high towers and instead to look to him who he himself was lifted up high on the cross, right? He took the sin and the shame of all of the nations and the penalty of all of the sin on his own body so he could purchase back fractured nations from sin's rule. And transfer them from this kingdom to one that is far better, far more substantial. We don't even want this one standing anymore because we want to stand in the power of God, right? So we, we want to, with God's help, deconstruct sin and rebellion and glory and security. And we want God to enter into our tower and just kind of explode it from the inside out. Here's the kicker. God used tongues to fracture the world when it was sinful and rebellious. At its, one of its peaks, he fractured humanity and said, with many, many languages, I'm going to send you out. But the promise that he would unite the nations before him again, God used tongues to fracture the world, but he's going to use tongues to unite the world too. In Pentecost... He fulfilled this promise and he began to unite his lost children. It's beautiful. Fractured tongues sent the world out. But in Pentecost, in the work of the Holy Spirit, tongues, the gift of tongues came on 12 men, disciples. And then they went out to the fractured nations preaching the gospel of God 
and a great number were saved in that very day. God is calling people who are descendants of fractured people to come back and be united with him in one spirit. We are to have faith in the strong tower of Jesus Christ. Nothing else should our foundation be built on. Let's pray and then worship. Lord, your word tells us that you are a strong tower, a mighty refuge for those who are weak and scared and unable to provide. We know that we can't do it on our own. And we've looked at the Tower of Babel this morning, and I don't know about anybody else, God, but I know about myself, and you know about myself. And I know that there are areas in my life that I have attempted to build a tower for myself, not for you. And this morning, Father, I want to repent of those. I'm sorry. My default status is to add bricks to my own tower, and I don't want to do it anymore. It's a lot of work, and it doesn't amount to much. Lord, this morning, I pray that if there are those in this room who have lived fractured lives far away from God and the praise of his name on their tongues, but those who would desire to unite with him under shelter and protection in his tower, in his name, Lord, would you draw those people to you in this very moment? Would you tap them on the heart, make their palms sweaty or make their stomach do flips or whatever it is that you got to do to get their attention this morning so that they know their tower isn't the one they should be trusting in? Would you speak to them in this moment, Father? Would you speak to those who are tired of trying to scramble for security constantly trying to figure out how to make this life work and be safe and be happy where they are Lord would you give them a desire to rest in your security now and forever to lay aside the heavy burdens of bricks and to rest because your yoke is easy and your burden is light and Father for those who pursue their own glory in small and large ways but this morning they desire to lay aside their glory and become humble before you? Would you lift their face to yours and reveal yourself to them in a way that they haven't seen before so they come away shining with your glory and giving praise to you for what you've done? And Lord, for those who are living in unchecked sin, whether it's known or unknown to people around them, you see from heaven the towers that we build. And it grieves you that we try so hard to live sinful lives that amount to nothing. You want more for us than we want for ourselves. And you're willing to give it and you paid the price for it. This morning, instead of building a tower of sin between us and you, would you, Lord God, take that tower of sin and plow through it with your son Jesus, tossing aside all of the bricks that we have built all of the things that we've said and done, all of the things that have been done to us that we carry, Lord, would you carry them far away from us? Grab us up in your arms and encourage us to trust you and you alone. That from this moment forward, we might be a people united in one voice, praising one God, not fractured, but united. We give you all the glory, Father. We want lives to be changed in this room today. And so, for the sake of knowing where God is working with eyes closed, heads bowed, 
I just want to know, with a show of hands, who wants God to do something in their life in any one of the ways we've mentioned? Yeah, I see your hand. Thank you. I see it. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you, God, for looking down from heaven and not counting us too small and insignificant, but for looking down from heaven and saying, they are so significant to me that I will do everything to pave a way for them to see glory, not theirs but mine. We honor you and worship you this morning, Father. Don't just start the work here, God. Continue the work. You are faithful to continue the work in your people that you have begun in this moment. We would pray that you would do that as we worship you in song, Father. We want you to continue to work as we sing your praises, as we give you the glory, as we confess our sin, as we sing with one voice, not fractured voices. May all the glory be to you forever and ever and ever. And all God's children said, Amen.